And so there's a transcendence, I think, to the Christian life that the Scripture calls glory. Okay? And so that glory comes out when you invite somebody who can't invite you back to dinner. You know, as Jesus says, if you just invite your friends, what have you done? More. Just what everybody else does. Right. So he's calling to a vertical separation there. If he says, you know, love your enemies, if you just love those who are good, who love you, what makes you different? Again, he's saying, here's the line. And it's not a horizontal line so much in terms of prescriptive behavioral guidelines, but it is a transcendent line in that our operating system is not the same as the world's. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover the faith. No, we're trying to recover faith in people by recovering yes, the faith. If possible. Yeah, we're trying yes. to recover faith by recovering the faith. And we're in a series called According to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And today's episode is entitled The Holy Nation. Yes. The Levitical ordinances, we'll describe what those are, they preserved a people that prefigured the holy community in Christ. So today we're going back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. The emphasis in the book of Leviticus is on the right response of a faithless people to God's holiness. That response preserved the people of promise until the one true high priest came. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. So Levitical ordinances, what are those? Yeah. Well, you know, we Oh, by the way, I'm Kent. Oh, you are. Yes, I am Nathan still. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Nathan, tell us what the Levitical ordinances are. Well, if you look through the book of Leviticus, and this is the the stuff that starts to get a little mind-numbing for us, you know, in a Western American audience where we are not used to ancient Near East thinking and uh, just some of the stuff, you know, it feels antiquated. Um, And we talked about that, that there are multiple layers to Revelation, and so... This And on this one layer, I would say, yeah, it is contextual. It is antiquated. On mm-hmm. the deeper layer, it's timeless. So we just it's why we have to see Scripture in this realized, fulfilled light because it's that, that outer layer wasn't ever meant to last forever. It was always going to go obsolete. Um, and so... The outer layer is like, this is some kind of purity code. Yeah. Ritualistic purity code. Yeah. And some of it just seems so very arbitrary um, where you have all of these um, dietary laws. And uh, we're just watching something the other day on Netflix about blue zones and people that live to be 100, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We saw the first episode. Yeah. And the only American blue zone is the one uh, that is the Seventh-day Adventist community in Loma Linda, California. So these folks generally are uh, vegetarian slash vegan. They have a lot of community support. They remain very active. And so about half of them are all are doctors. Um, somewhere along the line, Ellen G. White, who was left to pick up the pieces from William Miller's failed uh, prophecy about end times. And so created kind of this overarching narrative about regaining 
Old Testament observances. So here's somebody who, you know, she's sitting there with her iPhone in hand and thinking, you know, the Blackberry was good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, or something. And, and maybe pe- a lot of people start adopting the Blackberry and, and then somebody else comes along and says, what are you, why are you doing this? This is, this is ridiculous. This is something that's so clearly antiquated, something that we've so clearly moved past. Why would you go back to this? And the answers to that question are not very forthcoming. They're difficult to find. So you come up with another reason. You come up with something like, um, well, the, the screen on the BlackBerry is smaller and it's better for your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you, you create this whole subculture about eye health. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's what's very important to you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't initially, but you had to come up with an explanation for this arbitrary thing you did that really is inscrutable. So that's kind of what happened with these Old Testament laws. As they went back to the Old Testament dietary restrictions, people began to ask them in a more enlightened age, you know, began to ask them why? Why why would God give you this? And they so they start coming up with these reasons why it's healthier. And you know, you can make that case. Mediterranean diet is healthy. Mm-hmm. You can say, well, pork is uh, has tends to have certain toxins and shellfish definitely, and so all of those things. Okay, um, but that's not necessarily true. By the way, in every case, uh, if you ate organic, free range pork, you'd probably be fine, um, which they had was all they had available in the Bible age. Um, so, at any rate, the um, but they have this belief that health is a very important to God. Well, why is that? Well, because he gave these dietary restrictions. Was that why? Do we really see anywhere in Scripture that would suggest that God was uh, hung up on people being healthy or whatever? Um, certainly, I wouldn't think he would want us to be unhealthy, but this is a relatively recent concern. You've got people who are just trying to find enough calories to exist. Right. And who walk everywhere they go. They're not thinking, I'm getting a little fat here. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just probably shouldn't eat a bag of chips at one sitting or you mm-hmm. know, a carton of ice cream. They just didn't have those things. So the idea that God was really concerned with health just pulls it right out of the context and um, the original stated concerns. But all that to say is when we read through a lot of the regulations, especially these Levitical regulations that have to do with dietary laws, how you dress, fashion choices, these things that seem very arbitrary and they dictate almost every element of your life. So, you know, don't trim the corners of your beard, wear this kind of, these kind of tassels, don't wear mixed fabrics, um, you know, those kind of fashion prescriptions. And then there's the uh, dietary stuff, which is just extensive. You know, all of the animals you're not supposed to eat, all the ones you can eat. You know, <clears throat> I think the um, uh, Muhammad came by and he saw the Jews not eating pork. And if you look at um, you look at the Quran, pork is prohibited, mm-hmm. right? In the Quran, and uh, I guess halal does require something similar to a kosher butcher, where you know the animals killed in a certain way and prayed over. But those would be the more visible observances of the Old Testament uh, dietary rules. See, Muhammad didn't really have an opportunity in Saudi Arabia to see the Jews avoiding lobster. 
Mm-hmm. So, right. <laughs> you know, he didn't recognize since Osprey and Owl weren't normally on the menu for anybody, then he didn't know that that was also prohibited. All he saw was that everybody's eating pork except for this group of people. And he began to think, well, maybe their God is right, but nobody can agree. And and so as he began to knit together something that he thought would be a, a unifying middle ground religion, he kept a dietary, some dietary restrictions, but they were just the ones he could observe. You know, that just happens to be. But these these laws are, are you know, massive. They tell you what kind of bugs you can eat, what kind of um, fish uh, can you, you know, can you eat. Uh, Jews wouldn't make it. I, I, maybe that's why the Jews are more in the Northeast in America, you know. You just don't have a lot of Jews in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Uh, maybe it's because everybody down there is eating crawfish and uh, catfish and everything else, you know, it's just like, forbidden. right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so not a whole lot of observant Jews in those areas. Cause uh, you know, those folks are just straight up Gentile, <laughs> you know, the nation's kind of a thing, yep. but Hey, if you were dropped in a penal colony in, in uh, Louisiana, you'd probably start rethinking the kosher laws pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of thing I think that happened down there. But all that to say is, is that we look at that stuff and we think, why, why would some, esoteric being if if the universe is even kind of like we think it is right light years apart right one and a half trillion light years apart the observable universe made up of billions of galaxies trillions of planets okay uh here we are in a pale blue dot in the corner of an unimpressive spiral galaxy somewhere if that's reality i mean we really can't know that anymore but let's just assume it is okay so that guy or girl or it, right, and this, uh, it somehow cares if you eat a, a catfish as opposed to a perch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or carp. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, carp is a bottom feeder, but it's got scales, so you can eat that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It passes the test. <laughs> yeah. It has to be both a bottom feeder and have scales in order to be well, forbidden. It just has to have scales oh, okay. uh, in order to be in order to be clean. So it wasn't really a question about what that creature was eating. Later, mm. Seventh Day Adventists would come through and say, "Well, you shouldn't eat catfish because oh, okay. they're bottom feeders and eels. They're scavengers, wow. and and so that's why it's bad because ultimately it's bad for your health. And that's garbage. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's stupid. That's not true. That never came into the picture. That's just a uh, that's a retroactive." sort of an explanation. Okay. It's not honest. And I don't mean to critique the SDA that much, although not a fan. Anyway, um, <laughs> just because I, I, you know, I, I've seen the dangers of legalism right. and it's baked into that, into that belief system. Um, but, and, and fine, you know, Hey, it's good. They're living a hundred years. Great, but I'm going to live forever. So take that, you okay. know, it's just a hundred years is nothing. It's just a blink. Uh, it's silly for me to think that that's like for a Christian, that that's a big deal. Right. Um, so at any rate, yeah, this, uh, there's just all these rules. There's rules about, you know, if you've got mold on your clothes, you have to have it looked at If you have to, you know, have it checked again in a week. If it's still there, you got to burn it. If it's in your house, you got to tear your house down. I mean, this is severe stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can't touch a, a dead body or if you find a dead animal, you know, um, you can eat it if it's a clean animal and it's only recently dead. It's a roadkill. You know, roadkill laws like in Arkansas here. We get you can you can eat roadkill if you want. Um, but only but if but you can't go to like worship God or go to the temple for a week if you decide to do that. So there's a lot of stuff about clean and unclean, right? 
And maybe it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our minds if we read this. So we think, okay, option one, um, there's some eternal esoteric being who is unimaginably powerful and enlightened, um, who some for some reason is just so worried about mold and what things we eat and stuff. Okay, or there were people who didn't were pre-modern didn't know what was going to cause them to become sick, right? Uh, and so made maybe some poor associations, even though that doesn't come in, the health doesn't come in, but I'm thinking in terms of, uh, so they wouldn't have thought a, a line of connection between eating something and being sick as far as um, overall health, like this is going to raise your cholesterol. Mm -hmm. uh, they might have thought something like, this is going to bring in some sort of a demonic influence or something, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> that a lot of the cleanliness, by the time you get into uh, the New Testament and the Jews are very concerned about what's clean and unclean in terms of just washing after they go to the market and stuff, that there was a belief that there was a spiritual contagion that might get on you, mm -hmm. all right? And so there, there may have been that concern. Again, it's not stated, it's not in any way explicit here, but maybe that's something. You know, maybe there's just this assumed like, oh, look at that thing. It's dirty. It's wallowing in the mud. It's and so now hang on. Let me, let, me, let me hit pause for just a second. Are you saying you're, you're reviewing our options here yeah. for, for what, how to, what to make of this? And one option is God is for some reason concerned about these things. Another option is these laws were created by the humans. Right. Because they were for some reason concerned about these things. Right. Okay. Yeah. So those are the first two options. Right. Yeah. So that there would be kind of this arbitrary thing. So those are those are the options that we have, at least on that superficial level, right? And God, but God gives the reason why, you know, all of this. So if you look in Leviticus 11, there's all these food laws. So the animals that move along the ground, these are unclean, like in 11, 9, the weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? This is kind of like if you took the Tasmanian devil's menu and uh, yeah, and that would be everything prohibited. Mm -hmm. uh, if you understand that, that reference, that's an old that's an old guy <laughs> uh, reference. Go back real, and watch all the Looney really Tunes. You cartoons. culturally impoverished young people. Um, so all of this stuff is is prohibited, right? Um, if an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches touches its carcass will be unclean till evening. Whoops. Uh, someone who um, let's see, anyone who eats some of its carcass must wash their clothes, et cetera. So there's all these, all these rules about it, right? Um, but the reason for this is that, uh, and God, God, God states it. He does state it, right? In, a lit of, in Leviticus 11, 44 mm -hmm. and following. Um, Can we read it? Yeah, go. Well, I'm going to back up to 43. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Mm -mm. Yeah, good stuff. So I think there are a couple of reasons for, for this. And it when I look at these prohibitions, these Levitical ordinances, they really seem to relate to two different things. Um, one is prohibitions over what is 
common. So if you're very, if you're a very impoverished person, right? Um, you have to resort to things that may be readily available, but are not very appetizing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or things that might be very appetizing, but are readily available and, um, however you define that. But, uh, I, I've been surprised at, uh, just a little bit of exposure that I had to my dad's culture, um, that he's Chinese and then, um, my friend from Mississippi. <laughs> mm -hmm. and how similar their cultures are. And one thing that they had in common was that there was a lot of poverty around. Mm -hmm. You know, now my dad came from basically nobility, Chinese nobility, but uh, during Japanese occupation and stuff, there was a lot of poverty. And so um, one of the things that, that they have in common is that they're in their cuisine are things like pig ears and snouts and, and tails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Well, what does that say about your choices? I mean, it, uh, well, it says either you make full use of the animal, right. like, um, or you're you're getting the scraps. Right. Yeah. Chitlins. Mm -hmm. Right. I've I've never had the stomach to try them. I've I've been told what they are like, and so I can't I can't do it. I can't go there. But it's common soul food among impoverished people. Right. So here are people who've been set free from slavery. What should how should they eat? You know, my family growing up. You know, uh, we. We almost, we, we had a pot to pee in, but, you know, it wasn't a very nice one. Mm -hmm. uh, th there wasn't a ton of money. My grandparents were working class, uh, went through the Depression, not super educated. Um, and so kind of passed some of that on. My, and so my family didn't have a ton of, of money. Um, but the way they responded to that, so you have people who are, maybe they're culturally poor or multi-generationally poor. And uh, some people respond to poverty with great frugality, right? Always looking for a deal or using coupons, buying generic, standing in line for government cheese, mm -hmm. right? And, and maybe that's somebody who's extremely poor. Um, my family would have chosen to do without a lot of things, like live in a very small... Um, poorly equipped home, not own a vehicle, but then buy name brand food at the store and never use a coupon or when eating out, if there were, say there were leftovers, never get a doggy bag. Mm -hmm. Cause that's symbolic. It looks like you're poor. I mean, they mm -hmm. were dirt poor. Mm-hmm. Dirt poor. At one point, they lived in a, a chicken house hmm. that wow. was renovated. Hmm. And my grandparents never owned a vehicle. They walked everywhere they went. But when they went to the store, they would never, they would never have used food stamps or stood in line for government cheese. Because we're not among they those. We're not without. those people. Yes. Right. And so there's there's this kind of, and, and whether that's good or bad, I, I, you know, there there's a way in which that was probably foolish of them. And yet that was, for them, it's symbolic. Um, it has dignity. to do with your dignity. Yeah. You're not taking government money. You're, and, and it may have been the era that they came from. They were very old when my mom was born. So, you know, my grandfather was, he was old enough to be my great, great grandfather, probably. Um, so having come from a very, 
you know, a previous era in the 19th century, literally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that probably was somewhat instilled. But there's this idea that there's a there's a dignity that comes and, in, and it shows itself in your dietary and fashion choices. You know, um, we drove a very, you know, my mom and I, we it was just the two of us and my mom never made very much money. But, you know, I'm going to school in polos, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. She made sure she found you some nice clothes. I mean, yep. yeah, she ordered. I mean, she paid full price for oh, it. Yeah, there would okay. be other things that, you know, she had a very uh, meager car. Maybe, you know, we set the thermostat differently. We find other ways, but you go out and you present well. Mm -hmm. um, you, you aren't on the outs socially. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a definite pride there. And I think that that has that somewhat part of these rules was, number one, that they are leaving behind the the slave lifestyle in Egypt. You notice that God in Revelation or in Leviticus, he mentions, I brought you out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So be holy. Right. Okay. Um, and so some of it is that they're leaving behind this kind of um, scrambling for scraps mentality. Right. Okay. Uh, and you're no longer I, slaves. Now you're my treasured possession. My treasured possession right. doesn't eat the scraps. Right. Right. So, I mean, if you go to a restaurant and you order, um, lamb chops or leg of lamb, right? Mm -hmm. And this McDonald's, as far as I can tell, doesn't provide that yet, right? Mm -hmm. You know that this is this is the these are the better cuts. Uh, this is the better uh, meat. I personally don't like it, but at any rate, you know that that's a um, it's it says that you trust that you're being provided for, that you are connected to somebody who can provide well for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that that's some of it. The okay. other is so, that... So some of this is that don't eat the scraps. Right. Uh, these things that are forbidden are, if you study them, you'll see a common pattern. And it's this, these, this is this, these are the bottom feeders. These are, even though technically speaking, the bottom feeders are right. not forbidden. Right. These are the scraps. These are not the best. Right. Yeah. It's okay. the low end stuff. Right. Okay. Um, and it's stuff that you would witness. They would eat, they would be eating something dead or you know whatever and uh -huh. so with some sort of a, like a vulture or a pig okay or a dog you know that these these animals are feeding off of something that's that's dead um and so there's there's also a connection to death and okay. to this progressive corruption that we've talked about this decay um and so that's an that's another part of what i think you know, we would be, we would consider the unclean, anything associated with death. Okay. So anything um, associated with slavery, poverty, anything associated with death. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so this, these things really are rooted in that saying where God says, I am, you know, be holy because I'm holy. What does that mean? Well, holy means, well, what do you think it means? You, you've got a background in all this. So tell me. Uh, well, it's like it's like the one and only. It's unique. It's set apart. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so here are people, and this is something that for us we think, well, do you believe in God or do you not believe in God? Right? But if you're in, let's say you go to and anymore, and sadly, I guess, religions, you know, we tend to just kill off anybody or chase away anybody that believes differently from us make them unwelcome. Um, so we're not, we're not in a, a world where there are a ton of claims about a God, you know, 
It's like in a, in a tribal culture, my tribe has a God, your tribe has a God or multiple gods, and that tribe has another one and that tribe has another one, you know. And, um, and so as all of these, all these uh, societies are claiming to have their gods, right? So it really was very much if you went into battle, it was your God versus their God, right? If you're living next to somebody and that group of people's flourishing and you're failing, their God is doing a better job, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of gods out there, right? And but but Yahweh and, and here's the audacity of the, of the Jewish people is is that they say, yeah, but really there are two categories, right? So if you were a person in the ancient Near East and you worshipped uh, Baal, right? And and most of other people would have maybe worshipped him as well. He's a fertility god, right? Everybody likes him. Um, and then there's maybe some people who worship um, Marduk or some of the other more ancient gods, right? Um, now, everybody um, realizes that your god is a god and my god is a god. So Dagon's a god, Marduk is a god, Molech is a god, Baal is a god, and... And everybody realizes this, and it's just that you're you're going to have your patron deity, and hopefully he's going to be powerful enough, or uh, attentive enough, or you know, placable enough that you're going to have his help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that he's going to be able to overcome the other one, other people's god, right? And so they, people in the ancient Near East, would have had a god of this people, a god of that people, a god of that people, right? Um, and so there would have been a lot of categories of gods for most people. Most people would have said there's just there's there's all these gods and they have their realms and their categories. Okay. Now the Jewish people come along and they say really there's only two categories of gods. There are um, the fake ones and the real one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can fully appreciate the audacity of a, of a people who very small in numbers, never really were a world empire, not that powerful, um, and and who said that our God is qualitatively different. He's not stronger than yours. He's a God and yours isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that is that is a, quite a different statement. And so for God in the Bible to say, I am holy, that he is, he is making a claim for himself saying that I don't fit into this mash of gods that there's no i'm not in competition with them they are at an echelon that is infinitely below where i am mm-hmm. so when god says i am holy he's just saying look i i don't i'm not even in the same category i'm not in the same class right um and that is critically important because it is the whole claim really of scripture is that there is a God who is transcendent, and then there are these pedestrian gods, right? When you get over to Daniel, when you get over to uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, um, you get into some of the um, Haggai, some of these post-exilic prophets and authors, they often refer to God as the God of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a unique phrase that starts to come in. Even Nebuchadnezzar, or not um, Cyrus, even Cyrus, as he writes to um, to the displaced peoples, say the people in the Palestine area, and 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 when he sets a decree, and he's going to speak of Yahweh, right? And and I don't think Cyrus would have said Yahweh is the only God, but he does call him the God of Heaven, mm-hmm. which to them they would have said, okay, you've got this. 
basically you got the biosphere where we are. You got the sky, second heaven. That's where all of these spiritual beings are, you know, working it out up there. Mm-hmm. And that that's where what the nations would call gods mm-hmm. and dwell. And then you have over that realm, there is a God, right? That's the way, that's their cosmology and their theology. That's the way even pagan rulers who acknowledge Yahweh as being fundamentally different, they would call him the God of heaven. Mm-hmm. So maybe the people down here's li- their life is somehow affected by Zeus or Baal. Uh, but this idea would say, if such a being exists in the ether out there, he's subject to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the people who worship Yahweh, they don't need to look like everybody else is where, where I'm going. So he's not saying you are a people who are superior. So really, let's just say there are two ways to be holy. There's a vertical holiness and a horizontal holiness. Okay. Vertical holiness is what God has. He is holy in that he is at a higher echelon. Okay. God doesn't have to keep up with food laws in order to be different. He's inherently, intrinsically different from the gods of the nations. You mean God has vertical holiness? Right. Okay. Yeah. So God, our God, he is right because of his nature, what, who, and what he is. He has a, a vertical, he is lofty, mm-hmm. okay? So he doesn't have to keep up with food laws or anything because of his station, where he sits, mm-hmm. okay? Now, if you, let's say, if if I come up and I say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping God, and so I'm holy, I'm, I'm better than you. Yeah, we, we even have a say, right? Holier than thou, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Um, well, that's quite a claim to make, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, Oh, uh, you know, do you put your pants on one leg at a time? Yeah. You know, do you have a regular bowel movement? You know, are you, do you need to take a shower? You'll smell bad. I mean, what is it about you that makes you say you are somehow holy or do you, can you, and can I have vertical holiness in the sense that I'm at another echelon to the rest of society? And if I can, what makes that distinction? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So for these Jewish people, remember last time we said that Joshua meets this um, commander of the Lord's armies. He says, who are you for, us or our enemies? Neither. Neither, right. There is a reminder, I think, throughout Scripture that Israel, though chosen, is not superior. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. God says. passages where he says, look, you weren't greater, you weren't larger, you weren't more in number. Right. I didn't pick you because of you know, who you are as a nation. I picked you because of Abraham. And really, that was kind of arbitrary anyway. You know, um, so, yeah, that there's, they are, they don't have vertical holiness in that they are superior. They're still humans. And that is a, they need to be, everybody, you know, needs to be reminded of that. Because we can misinterpret uh, the scriptural narrative as something racist or sectarian in a, in a way that devalues mm-hmm. other humans, mm-hmm. and and that's never the intention. Mm-hmm. So, without vertical holiness, and yet to claim to worship a God who is transcendent, who is other, mm-hmm. how can you be recognized um, in such a way? And how can you remind yourself? You know, because especially you've got these neighboring peoples; they have gods; they think their gods help them. Right. 
how can you keep from from that notion that everybody else in the world has? I mean, you are the only one with the audacity to say such a foolish and ridiculous thing that your God is somehow the only qualitatively God. different. Yes. Okay, so, so you're getting at this idea that these this Old Testament these these laws, these purity laws, these codes would set apart the people as distinct and would demonstrate thereby they are the people of the one God that is distinct right. from all the other gods. Right. So it's yeah. to make them weird. It is to make them weird. In the in the old uh, old English, First uh, Peter two, you are a peculiar people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so there's this claim that. That, yeah, they, they have to be separate. Now, those that separation is specific in that one. It's an avoiding of that which is common, okay? That which is, um, as we've said, at a particular echelon, poor people food or whatever, right? Or that, that which is associated with death. Right, and that's the other one. And death, uh, and by extension, uh, rot, decay, c- corruption. So okay. there's an avoiding of the, of the something that is dead, um, and then a cleanness that that comes with that, um, and I and I think that has something to do with um, this idea that death is not present before God; that it is an a, a, a phenomenon that is unique to here. Mm-hmm. And so, as somebody, especially as God is picking these people to somehow operate as, as a priesthood, right? He says, you're going to be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that not only was Israel called to be distinct, but really also to bear witness in, in, in who they are, right? And to point towards something more. So their avoidance of or at least this partition away from that which is dead, it, it suggests something about God and about God's intention for humankind. And so, the, um, for instance, there's, there's this really kind of severe ordinance about the high priest in Leviticus uh, 21, 10 through 12. You want to read that? Yeah, Leviticus 21, 10 through 12. The high priest... The one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother, nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it, because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Shall I keep reading? No, I think that's good. Okay. It's pretty. It's pretty severe, right? Uh-huh. Like if you are serving as the high priest and your mother dies, you can't go to her funeral. Mm-hmm. That's kind of extreme, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, and yet there is this. I think this idea that what that's pointing to is. As we talked about last time with Joshua, who didn't leave the tent, that that there is a place where death doesn't enter, mm-hmm. and again, that these people are operating on a horizontal plane, and so we have a horizontal separation in terms of a particular zone, a place, 
and that place must be free of death. The temple. Of, of mourning, even. Like, not only can he not go to her funeral, but he can't mourn there. Right? Mm-hmm. He can't let his hair go unkempt or tear his clothes. That mm-hmm. there that there is this um, decorum that is appropriate in the presence, immediate presence of God. And that must not be violated. And so that's, I would say, as we've been saying, that the Old Testament regulations, they point to something else. And I, and I think that they point to a time when we will transcend this need for horizontal separation and begin to have a vertical separation. <laughs> that um, and and so that's if you say, well, why why don't we keep these food laws anymore? So let me just address kind of the um, Seventh Adventists and others. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are evangelicals, people who just say they you know that we should keep this. We would be blessed and happy if we kept the Sabbath and avoided mm-hmm. pork and all this other stuff, you know, and um, I to that I say hogwash, uh, literal hogwash, because the hogs have been washed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's made them clean because remember the in the Old Testament that this is a nation that's predicated not on faith. Mm-hmm. Right. We, Right. The it law is, is not of faith. The law is not of Rather, faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Exactly. So if you can't count on a people to have this, this transcendent faith, I mean, really, how, how does a person find the vertical separation? Right. It's not by through learning, okay, because we're never going to be that much smarter than the rest of humanity. Like we could say, well, this group of people, we're going to devote ourselves to learning and we're going to be the most educated people on the planet, right? We're never going to be as a community that much smarter than everybody else, right? That they're, or even, even somewhat close to where, to what God knows, right? So what would it be? Maybe we only let the beautiful people in, right? But again, really, there's no way. Vertically, how do you get a people who are vertically separated from the rest of humanity. I think this call to be holy as God is holy is still there, but it is a call not to a symbolic holiness through a peculiar culture. Manner of life, right. right. And because that but the, because that cultural peculiarity creates partitions between people. Mm-hmm. Right? And that partition always creates hostility. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true given recent well, events? <laughs> yeah. Right? We're talking about, you're, you're referencing Hamas. Um, yeah. Because, you know, Nathan, somebody, somebody's going to be listening to this episode right. 10 years from now. And sure, they're not yeah. going to realize. It'll be a date stamp. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, after after all of this boils over, everyone will know. Because it'll be this defining historical moment. We're all going to be, you know, picking up the pieces. I hope not. But anyway, it it's kind of nasty over there. There was hostility. Hopefully it's not going to get worse. Yeah. And there was hostility in Jesus' day. Yeah. Between Jews and Gentiles, between Samaritans and Jews. Right. And and Paul said that, you know, that that hostility is perpetuated by what he called the wall of partition, which is the law and its ordinances. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that says 
um, you you can have that person over to your house, but they but you can't go to their house. Mm-hmm. Are you really ever going to be friends with them? You know, mm-hmm. will they ever really be in your, you know, in your inner circle, or will you will they always be less than? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done that in this culture and this country. And um, man, okay. Uh, anyway, that. As so long as we have these arbitrary ordinances that we're always going to have some kind of a uh, wall between us and other people. And and it makes us feel comfortable. We want to be able to say, I I know who the insiders are and who the outsiders are. And we feel naked if we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And And we do do develop our society this way. I mean, we we have the elite sort of echelon in in our society determined Mm -hmm. by mainly wealth. Right. Uh, also education, also health and, and beauty. Right. And we, they can have their own separate neighborhoods and their own separate, right. um, you know, vacation destinations and, you know, all right. the rest. Yeah. And scripture would indict those people. And I, you know, it's hard to say that because I think compared to others, I'm probably one of them, you know, compared to the rest of humanity, I'm probably one of them, but this idea, you know, and like in Isaiah, um, Five, where he says you you, you build you build a home on top of home and or you know you you uh, attach field to field until you are alone in the country, mm-hmm. you know that there's this idea that you're using your wealth to push other people away, uh, and in so doing you're causing suffering, uh, you know that other people are going to suffer because they have less because you have more and you've engineered it that way because you could. Uh, and that's an aspiration toward a vertical separation, right? I want to get above the mass of humankind. Mm-hmm. And so, but that becomes a tower of Babel that becomes our own um, aspiration to godhood, I think. The use of wealth and power to, to create our own vertical separation, which is illusory. Um, and uh, mo- most of the time, those fortresses become prisons. Um, and so... You know, we can we can prop people up and on fame and fortune, and they we consider them to be our idols, mm-hmm. uh, and and there we would think that there's a vertical separation there. But again, it's it's nonsensical in that that these people are subject to all of the same mm-hmm. things that we are, and um, so there really is no difference. It's mm-hmm. just that there's an illusion of it, but that is the aspiration and. It causes suffering. It it really does work against community, right? So really, an attempt at vertical separation, an attempt at horizontal separation. Um, it was necessary, I think, in the Old Testament era because the law is not of faith. It is not only not necessary now, but it is destructive as it has always been because the goal, you know, Israel was in this, I, I think, kind of a gestational period. And as we've kind of broken out, we ought to be connecting with the world, tearing down partitions. How can we do that and remain holy, right? And, and I think it is through a vertical separation, but it is not through a vertical separation achieved by us. If it is, then it becomes divisive again, that it instills that arrogance and that sense of superiority. The only vehicle toward a vertical separation, a holiness that is both clear and distinct, 
that points us toward this higher reality. Okay, so it's got to do that. The holiness has to point toward this higher esoteric truth, this transcendence. It has to. It has to be unmistakable. But the other thing it has to do, if God is really God and God is really love and he's really created all of us, that it has to allow for humans to come together into a community. It has to to promote humility as it enables this distinction. Okay? And the only the only thing I'm aware of that can do that is faith. The faith of the Son, as we've been talking about it. Because with this faith, what we what we have to admit, what's implicit in this faith is that we are the same, <laughs> you know, and that we sinned and that we failed. And so in this faith, we admit that, the faith that the gospel gives. And then in this faith, we announce that there's a great and generous Father who really invites even people like us in. So that's in that's inherently inclusive, right? That it if if that's the essence and the nature of the testimony, then it's inclusive to everyone, no matter who, no matter how low they've sunk morally, that it's always inclusive. Now, I also trust in that God to provide, and that becomes evident as I exercise that faith rather than resort to the devices of this world. Okay, so, so I live by faith. I yeah. I don't as, just have faith. I live by faith. It's exactly. An op- it's an operating principle, um, motivating principle, right? Directive principle for my life. Right, and and so it becomes both a horizontal, horizontal and a vertical separation, because I'm, I live differently. People are going to notice something different about my choices. That's the holiness being around me. Yes, that's a, and so it's a horizontal separation, but it's also a vertical separation in that. Um, I'm able mentally, I guess, to transcend all of these intramural debates. I don't get down in the mud and fight over all these outcomes and things that are unimportant. Um, and and so I, I think that there is a graciousness to that comes with this faith that I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to fight with you over things that I that 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 to me is a vertical separation in that I don't participate in all of the sectarianism and the hostilities and stuff that there's not I don't have the same things on the line as people of the world. And so there's a transcendence I think to the Christian life that the scripture calls glory. Okay? And so that glory comes out when you invite somebody who can't invite you back to dinner. You know, as Jesus says, if you just invite your friends, what have you done? More. Just what everybody else does. Right. So he's calling to a vertical separation there. If he says, you know, love your enemies, if you just love those who are good, who love you, what makes you different? Again, he's saying, here's the line. And it's not 
a horizontal line so much in terms of prescriptive behavioral guidelines, but it is a transcendent line in that our operating system is not the same as the world's. And so we don't do what is predicted mm-hmm. by the the way of the world. Like, And loving our enemies is a really great example of that. Right. Maybe, maybe the best example of that. Uh, but now we do that because God has transferred us to another echelon of existence. Right. Right. So the, so we have a vertical holiness that is like a status before it's a lifestyle. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so because that's where I thought you were going. And then I, yeah. then you were kind of focusing on this way of life, yeah. which is great. But isn't it that way of life, that way of faith right. predicated on what God has done for us? Right. He's, he's brought us into his presence where he's we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Exactly. Yeah. So where remember the high priest, he's he's in this compartment. He can't mourn for the death of his uh, family and stuff like that. That uh, and the author of Hebrews depicts Jesus as ascended. Right. He's up there. It's not that he doesn't grieve with us, but that, you know, he is in a place where there is no death. Right. Where mm-hmm. there's just unbroken worship of God and all of that, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, And so we as priests under his order ought to reflect that similarly. So the the priests under the high priest, they, this this kind of radical separation that the high priest had is approximated in the priests, right? So they had a level of holiness that their separation, it wasn't the same, they, they, because they're going in and out, Mm -hmm. right? but Jesus, he's the one, he comes as the anointed one, he's the high priest, he's there, seated in the heavens, he's always in the presence of God like Joshua, he is Joshua, right? Um, and and yet he is a priest over our order, and so yeah, we have this transcendent status, and so, you know... Even I, though we're frail and sinful humans. Right, right, but we, by faith, are connected, right, that there, there is this... Um, cable, I guess, uh-huh. between us and him. Uh, and so Paul says in Ephesians 2, where he talks about you were dead, you're made alive. Um, and, and then he says that um, you've been seated. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So there is this where previously there was a symbolic depiction of a separation, this horizontal separation that's somewhat arbitrary, right? Because you don't need faith to be raised in a culture where you don't eat pork, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Requires no faith. Um, I'm not saying that the Jews didn't believe in God or that he existed. I'm saying that you, that if I believe that I have this kind of access to God, as Paul suggests here, that my decisions are very different. The way I treat other people, um, the way I view myself, all of that now becomes very different. And so there is that distinction. There is that holiness that is evident in my life. Um, and it is connected to being someone of a higher echelon. And so... Which is what God has done for me. 
You right. said it doesn't depend on what we've done. You know, right. it's what Christ has done for us, and that has freed us to live differently. Right, right. And really, if you think about, and we talked about this last time with Revelation, that we are in that compartment, right? And our, our life really consists now of fellowship with Christ and his people there at the table of showbread. It consists of light and power from the Holy Spirit, you know, and it consists of access to God through prayer and worship. Um, and with, other than that, it's pretty much it. You know, it's not like, and, and, I, and I really need to be sure that I'm, I'm clear here that Christianity doesn't come with cultural prescriptions mm-hmm. by design. Mm-hmm. Judaism does. Right. And Islam does. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, that those because those assume a very pedestrian approach to God that is underneath the elementary principles of the world. But we've been lifted above that. Remember, God is what? God of heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. And that echelon is where those elementary principles of the world are operating. You know, that the. Even these uh, angelic powers, whatever they are, I, I think that they have to respect those, traffic in them. Um, but above that is God. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to say, well, that there is a, um, a law in place governing the natural realm. Okay. And that law, I, I think it, it's activated in things like religion and culture, things like that, right? And then that there is a law above that, the law of, of heaven. And that law is faith working through love. So if we have been called into that law, into that relationship by, by necessity, we are, we are vertically consecrated, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. set apart. But the choice is, are we going to live by faith? And oftentimes, our tendency is to create a version of Christianity that operates on these things down here, right? Because they don't require faith, and faith is hard, you know. But when we live uh, by the law of heaven, faith working through love, th- uh, then we are horizontally uh, uh, set apart, right? So let me let me just give you um, hopefully a pointed example. People who emphasize holiness in the Christian religion tend to prescribe goofed up (laughs) cultural distinctives. Yeah, I mean, we speak of the holiness traditions. Some of those are the people who have, the women have long hair and long skirts, uh, dresses to their ankles. Is that what you're referring to? Right, yeah. I mean, you can, (laughs) Jamie and I, uh, we were at, uh, this is back in the, oh, I don't know, early 2000s, late 90s, we were over at in Tulsa, J.C. Penney, and you know they have Oral Roberts University mm-hmm. there. And uh, that J.C. Penney had a whole section for uh, Oral Roberts uh, female students. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every, every mannequin, you know, long um, denim skirts, kids, uh, tennis shoes, long sleeve polos. Um, they all looked exactly the same. It's just like, what's just happened here? You know, I just walked into a weird, you know, alternate reality, but that's what it is. It's just like, and and I'm not just thinking about the holiness movement, but you know, say, so 
you know, the, the Duggars and, uh, and not to pick on them specifically, but the movement that they represent, um, yeah, IBLP, like- the Gothards, mm-hmm. anybody that is a Christian and you basically can know that they're a Christian when you look at their hair, you know, right. or uh, like when we begin to create Christian variants and, and in doing so, we prescribe the movies you can watch, the words you can say, the clothes you can put on. Where your kids can go to school. And, and we do it under the name of holiness. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear here that that is the antithesis of holiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that is, ironically, former... being spotted, being sullied and soiled by the world. Uh-huh. It's, it's, a, it's the former type of holiness where we are seeking to erect these horizontal barriers, these walls between us and the world. Right. Yeah. And I that's not to say that we shouldn't that we should just be indiscriminate in what we watch and what we wear and all that, but it's not that it is driven by our movement or prescribed in some way. You know, if I tell you you can't wear long sleeves. You know, that's that's something. If I have to get so specific, right? There's something bad wrong, there's something broken. If, if a woman has to be told what she can wear, number one, that's diminishing to her. It kind of turns her into a subservient. Uh, number two, it assumes she wants to be provocative if she can. Mm-hmm. And maybe she didn't, but now all of a sudden we start telling her, hey, you know, you hear me? now she starts wondering, well, why? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then that, it begins to fuel the, the sinful mentality and all that. Um, it's just it's just messed up. But if we if we are aware we're living at this echelon where our behavior is being driven from a very a core that is very deeply rooted in our place before God, then that is going to be the best assurance that the kinds of things we do are not only beneficial to our community but to the people around us. Because we don't have all of that worldly, those worldly influences pushing and pulling on us so that we have to be under this kind of mandated quarantine. We can now come out, go out effortlessly, whimsically as free people who honestly and truly mean well and can trust that we mean well and, you know, can hear the needs around us and uh, respond case by case and moment by moment and not have to have these prescriptions. So um, to me, that that's just one of the most important things that we're trying to say is that if we don't get this notion of, of faith and what it really means to live by faith, that the Christian movement is going to continue to produce truly in their in their basis and their assumptions non-christian variants <laughs> that uh, alienate the world and subjugate the adherence and and poison the stream that we have to understand that the very essence and basis of the christian faith is freedom um, predicated on faith and that holiness is really what enables that freedom and that is our acceptance our place before God um, and that vertical holiness that we have in him. So thanks everyone for being with us. If you got some questions about this, you can email us discussion 
at recoverfaith.org. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.